0: I would always advise companies to look at consultants before they look at agencies and I think there is an, and this is kind of what large companies do now and I think this also reflects the way that the market has changed. There's a lot of uh, senior people like me you know who've been in the industry for many years and the nature of agency is very much uh, it's a pyramid. So what happens with agency is that the uh, there's a few senior people at the top, but largely agencies built up on, on generally sort of younger people who are learning how to do marketing. And, and that works very well. If you know specifically what you need and specifically what you want them to do, then that model is fantastic. If you need to come up with your plan first, then I would say it's always worth thinking about consultancy and thinking about having a step back and, and going into a planning stage because most businesses don't do this. They'll jump straight away to let's go and do SEO. What do we do? Well, let's hire an SEO agency. You know, they, they jump straight away to the execution and that's not the best way to go to, to do this properly, I would say.
1: Welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast, your weekly audio masterclass on converting leads to revenue. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot. Let's do this. Our guest is Nick Wilsden from Torque Partnership. He's a digital marketer and strategist with 20 years of performance marketing experience, working for enterprise clients and global brands. He's a subject matter expert on cross-platform campaigns, and he's assisted on major digital transformation projects. He's also a speaker, a blogger, a contributor to industry publications such as The Drum, Reuters, and... The Moscow
0: Times. That's gonna be a question. I say because
1: it's a U.S. I'm a U.S. guy, so I had to, you know, I had to ham it up. There. You need, you need a drum roll, there, Eric. Yep. Uh, he's an industry judge for the UK Search Awards and the European Performance Awards. He's passionate about digital performance, integrated campaigns, and figuring out how to
0: read the tea leaves. Nick, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eric. It's, it's wonderful to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, You came highly recommended uh, by Juliet Van Royen, who uh, did another episode of this podcast. And she was fantastic. And I said, if you're as smart as you are, you have to tell me who else I should talk to. And she didn't hesitate. She said, you.
0: Cool. That's a high bar. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Juliet is a fantastic marketer. And the work she does is very, very impressive. I'm, 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 yeah. So
1: in this episode, we're going to talk about the inside SEO strategies of Vodafone, eBay, and Estee Lauder, how to hire an SEO and why big changes at Google could make or break your search engine visibility after this. Our guest is Nick Wilsdon. He is a consultant at Torque Partnership who serves major brands. Nick, how is Enterprise SEO different from small business
0: SEO. Yeah, that's a good question, Eric. It, it is different, absolutely. And I think over the years I kind of realised it's different because it involves a lot of different aspects uh, that you don't normally need to think about with SME. And one of the you have the technical side, and I'd say the enterprise is dominated by technical SEO uh, because these kind of sites they're they're huge. They get links uh, automatically, naturally. Uh, you know, sometimes you know thousands of links at a time. So link acquisition isn't really as important for them. They've got the authority. Usually the thing that's holding them back is is tech SEO and and implementing that. And then that leads to the third thing, you know, getting things done. And getting things done at enterprise is a whole separate subject. It's very complex. And I think some people look at enterprise sites and they notice that, you know, you could fix this or you could fix that. And they have to understand that there's a lot of process and politics behind that to get those things fixed. So it takes a, a huge amount of strategy and thinking to kind of push that through those organizations.
1: What are some of the common challenges in enterprise SEO that don't present themselves in small business SEO?
0: It's it's the scale of it. It's scale of it and putting those fixes in place. Uh, you have, um, changes that you need to make to the site we have many different teams and interests uh, across the organization so you have to have a very strong business case in terms of why you're you're making those changes and the certainly kind of a very senior level in enterprise it's it involves you having an understanding of, of the commercial nature of the business far more than most sort of technical seos so you have to have a balance there between your technical knowledge but also an understanding of what the business is trying to do and what the objectives are through the business so it's that kind of they, they, you have to balance those things much more and and your soft skills i think we talk a lot about soft skills now in, in seo and i think it's something that we need to emphasize for, for younger people coming up in the industry, that you can be incredibly technical and that's fantastic, but if you can't convey the value of what you're trying to do to senior stakeholders, then you're never going to move up in your career and you're never going to make these kind of projects land. So, so you've been doing it 20 years.
1: Yep. I've got to think that the folks you're communicating to have become more knowledgeable about SEO over the years. Is that the case?
0: Uh, this this question might get me in trouble, but it's, uh, uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, SEO has built a good reputation for itself. I mean, it's, it's never been as good for SEO as it is now in 2021. Uh, people acknowledge that SEO is important, but still, when you go to very senior levels of a company, you're still uh, advocating for for SEO. You're still trying to convince them about the value of this because you you will find. Uh, you'll find even very senior people who still don't fully understand it, who don't fully understand how SEO works. And they think this is still free traffic or this is still, uh, you know, something that will come naturally through Google or, you know, why doesn't why doesn't Google bend to what we want to do rather than we have to bend to Google? So you kind of get these, these various sort of uh, approaches and attitudes at very, very senior level. So yes, I think overall SEO is acknowledged far more now than it ever was. Uh, every major site has three sources of income now, you know, it's always, it's direct, you're paid SEO. Those are your three pillars for every enterprise site. And I think that's, that is acknowledged now, but there is a large part of your job that is advocating for SEO and still, uh, you know, still convincing people. When you are convincing people at the top, how does
1: that conversation change if you're talking to a CFO versus
0: a CEO? Yeah, it does. It changes for every stakeholder that you speak to. And, uh, I'd say definitely, I mean, for the C-suite in general, the commonality is that you're linking it to the commercial value of what you're doing uh, and you're you're stripping back the technical jargon to really explain to them that, you know, if we do this, we will get X percent increase in, in sales, in revenue, and you have to be able to take your SEO to that level. Um, but I say also you, you, you balance because with every SEO uh, program that I run, you have a uh, Basic SEO, best in best practice SEO that all of us SEOs know. We all understand what needs to happen. We understand about implementing meta, canonical tags, redirects. We understand all this, and then we have the kind of shiny objects over here, uh, which are the things that, that the business gets excited about because it's new, and that may be, you know, improving uh, local SEO, maybe improving omnichannel, um, you know, uh, app uh, indexing. You know, mobile mobile search. It can be only these sort of topics. Schema at the moment is something that I talk a lot to businesses about because we're changing the way that the web works right now. We're going from a, a web of uh, web of uh, things to a web of sorry, web of strings to a web of things. We're, we're moving towards a semantic web, and this is a this is a huge change that we're seeing now. Uh, Google used to uh, index and retrieve information from documents, and we're now moving to retrieving you know information. Uh, from, from various sources and, and putting a lot of that straight into search as well. So that's really changing the way that businesses think about their data and think about their information and how they how they use that online.
1: For someone who's who's new to search engine optimization, who's listening to this and maybe more more of a has more of a basic understanding of how search
0: works. What is schema? Oh, schema. Well, this this does. Feed into semantic uh, semantic search because schema is a way of us describing information on a page, and uh, you know Google or we always wanted to have a kind of universal way of describing that information because if you think about if you think about information on your page it's very difficult for Google to kind of go into your page have to read through the text and how do they really understand that and and understanding and getting that contextual knowledge is very difficult so if you imagine I could then take uh, your reviews that you have on your site. And I could mark them up in a way that was universally understood to make them reviews. And then Google would look at that schema, that markup, and it would know that they're reviews. It would know the rating, the uh, the aggregate rating, the content of your reviews. And it would then take that data and maybe put it into stars in the search results. So Google can then interpret that schema. Uh, and people have really seen schema in, in that kind of very basic way for quite a while, where they see... Google releases a search feature that is powered by Schema, and uh, I think 50% 50 or more search features are now powered by Schema. And they try and put the Schema on their page to capture that search feature because they know if they have the stars in the search or they have that that extra bit of real estate, they're going to get more clicks. Uh, But a true understanding of Schema goes beyond that because a true understanding goes we're not just going to mark up the piece of information that Google wants to display in search, we're going to mark up all our information and the relationships that it has with, with itself. So if I'm a, a telco, for example, and I have a, a a package, a broadband package, what does that mean? You know, How does Google know what that broadband package is? It's a, it's a brand name. So Schema would allow me to uh, let Google know in a machine readable way that that brand name was a broadband package sold by a telco for this much on a monthly subscription. Uh, you know, I, I, I can tie all that information together, sold by this brand. And, and that's a very powerful thing because that's where Google is heading with Schema. They want to understand the world's information and the relationship between those pieces of information. Uh, and, and this is why really getting into Schema in 2021 is, is an essential thing for most online brands. If you're
1: listening to this and you're panicking because you don't know how to do schema, um, if you're a WordPress user, there is a popular plugin called Yoast. We actually had the president, the CEO of Yoast. Uh, Mariach Vanderacht on the program uh, recently. You can download that episode, but that tool will actually write the schema for you. And uh, if you're a WooCommerce user, they'll do it for your product uh, catalog as well. But I imagine if you're creating schema for an enterprise like Vodafone or eBay, that's all custom scripting. Yes,
0: it has to be. It has to be custom scripting. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Yoast does a fantastic job with schema. I know uh, O. Alderson, he's a part of Yoast, and they do create some fantastic schema and they make it very easy for WordPress users or other people on those CMSs to produce it. But certainly when you get to enterprise level, uh, we have to write it all from scratch. We we have to create it ourselves. And that that brings with it uh, other problems in terms of scalability. How do we get that schema onto the site? Uh, we've done schema deployments through Tag Manager, which was something that I pioneered or pushed, I wouldn't say pioneered, but I was one of the people pushing this uh, many years ago as as a method to apply scalable uh, schema to to an enterprise site where we could deploy it through the Tag Manager and we could then use triggers to fire that schema on different uh, URLs. So effectively, we used Tag Manager as the CMS for schema. Can
1: uh, you, you dumb that down for me? Because I, oh, yeah. I know I <laughs> know of Tag Manager. I don't. I'm not a user. I've never yeah. used it. So, dumb it down for me and explain to me exactly what you're yeah. saying here about how you would use Google Tag Manager to deploy Schema for an enterprise website.
0: Yeah, and, and this is uh, if you imagine your uh, your Tag Manager system is has the ability to fire and uh put different bits of paint different bits of information onto different pages in the same way that it paints on say your google analytics code you could equally get it to paint on you know a a link to your podcast on on every other page or a certain group of pages you could do that all automatically through your tag manager so you could use your tag manager to deploy information uh, across your site and this then allowed me to think in a scalable way about producing schema so i worked with uh deploying it in Tag Manager, I, I was one of the first people to work with Telium, which is a, a, an enterprise competitor to Google Tag Manager, uh, to uh, deploy their uh, tag, their schema deployment tags as well. So this is a way of us kind of uh, having a set of schema uh, and then saying that we want to apply this pattern because it would be dynamic to you know tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of pages at one time. Uh, It's interesting, though, that that now that's kind of moved on. So a lot of people who used to do deployments in Tag Manager, in the Tag Manager layer, they're now looking at Edge. And and I do a lot in terms of Edge Ops, uh, Edge operations. And we're now things that we would have deployed previously at the Tag Manager level, we're now thinking about deploying at the the CDN level. Uh, And you'll know sort of CDNs, Cloudflare, uh, Akamai, Fastly, these are these are the big CDNs. Uh content and these, delivery networks. Content delivery, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yes. Just, no. And uh, so with a content delivery network, their initial purpose was to deliver content. So they would deliver content to the faster, user right? faster, the, the yeah. Place to, place. To expedite
1: the experience. So if you had a lot of big files, you could house those at servers closer to the user. Exactly,
0: yeah. And so your, your uh, user in India would go to a server in Mumbai when they made a, a request, and they would get this file very fast. And what's been the dramatic change in terms of Edge has been that they, they want to move from merely serving content to allowing you to run uh, Edge apps in that environment. So we could start to paint on schema. We could uh, do redirects. We could do renaming of URLs. We could do AB testing. We can do all of that now in the edge. And this is where I spend a lot of my time uh, because edge ops is, is very much enterprise level. Uh, and this comes around to uh, talk and my ethos of finding kind of scalable solutions for large enterprise. Uh, so how can we find a solution that, that will allow you to fix these fundamental SEO problems? And and so, you know, I'm moving up into the different layers to allow that to happen. So, um, small
1: businesses obviously are just trying to get noticed. I mean, it's tough to get inbound links for a a small business. If you're Vodafone, I imagine it's a lot easier. Um, But at at small business, you know, often the strategy is to create um, informational or educational content in hopes of luring links to that type of content that can then um, transfer that link authority over to a product page. But I imagine with enterprise, you're just SEOing the product
0: page, yeah? You are doing that as well. Uh, You're still doing that. That technique is a tried and trusted technique. I mean, to bring uh, links into a certain page, but then the internal links for any site, whether it's an enterprise site or a small site, small business site, Um, those internal links are absolutely fundamental. And you should be always thinking if you have highly linked pages and you're you're going out with something that does attract links, where am I linking to internally from from that page? Because it is a very potent technique. Uh, I'd say your internal linking is always something that's very much overlooked. Uh, We we see a lot of people focusing on on gaining links, but we don't really think about what we're doing with the link equity that we have already. Uh, We don't think about reclaiming links. Because when a link goes dead and it goes to a 404 page, that link no longer transfers any equity to our site. So as a, as a small business owner, what are you doing to, to recover those links that are coming into your site? How are you making sure that you monitor them with some of the tools that are out there to make sure that they're, they're always live? Uh, because it's far easier to do link recovery and to monitor and maintain your current linking database than it is to go out and get more links. So um, that, that's something I think all businesses should be thinking about, enterprise or not. Nick what is a cross-platform campaign uh, cross campaign campaigns are I, th- I think it's just the thing that always I hated at in digital in general and probably agency was the silos that exist uh, and there's always silos between uh, different teams so the, the SEO team does something completely on its own uh, the PR team does something completely on its own it's it's very siloed and I think my uh, enthusiasm for cross across uh, campaigns has always been to get clever people working together and work out how we can create a campaign that, that really becomes omnichannel. Because we know that users don't come in from SEO channels and completely attribute to SEO channels. We know that a user has touch points. They're going to come in. They may, uh, they may come in through SEO on an informational query. They may want to learn more about your product. And that's what SEO is really good at. SEO is good at getting those people who want to understand what you sell. And then that user, same user, may come back in through a paid advert because they're ready to convert. And then your, your paid advert has the, uh, the attractive offer in it to pull them in and get them to convert at that moment. But these channels work together. They don't work alone. And I think all campaigns should be thinking about cross-channel and omni-channel. That really should be how we think about it. And this was especially true for, for telco uh, because you imagine a lot of people in telco, they, they want to buy a very expensive handset. They're not cheap. Uh, they're, you know, two-year subscription on some of these handsets. Uh, and you would go in, you would want to see the phone. So you may have done some research on organic before. Uh, you may then walk into the store, you, you know, look at a handset, talk to the assistant. You may not even purchase at that point. You may then come back out the store and then purchase online through a PPC ad. Or, or even an upgrade through your account. So you know these are, these are omni-channel ways of thinking about selling. And I think everyone who works online has to be uh, a lot more open to the fact that, that they need to get their channels working together to make them efficient. How much enterprise
1: SEO costs, how to hire an SEO, and the SEO strategies of Vodafone, eBay, and Estee Lauder with Nick Wilsden, consultant at Torque Partnership when we come back. Stay with us. We're talking to Nick Wellesden. He is a consultant at Torque Partnership with clients such as Vodafone, eBay, Estee Water, and Tommy Hilfiger. Nick, what types of things do you do for eBay?
0: Well, I obviously couldn't go into specifics, but eBay is about scale. And I don't think I've ever worked on a site at the same, that scale that eBay has. And I think that's been, uh, all, all with, Teams are, are, are that clever and enthusiastic. It's fantastic, a uh, bunch of people at eBay. Uh, I absolutely love working with them. And I'd say for, for them, they have to think more than anyone, more than any enterprise that I've ever been in. They have to think about scale, and they have to think about uh, solutions that will sort of slowly move the ship in the right direction. It's 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 very hard with a site, the scale of eBay, to go in and fix individual things that you would find and i think this gave me a real understanding uh, towards google actually working with ebay Uh, because as an seo we used to get very frustrated because we would look at google and we'd say well these search results these are clearly wrong you know this this isn't working we'd all fire off reports to google or always complain on social media and you start to understand that a site like Google is so complex that they can't fix individual things. They have to start thinking, you know, how do we then tweak the algorithm or how do we tweak our approach? Or how do we create another system to, to slowly fix this thing? And, and this is how the largest sites on the internet think that they, they can't think in terms of small individual fixes. So uh, it, it, it made me a lot more sympathetic I think towards the Google engineers having, having worked in that sphere with eBay. It's interesting. Um, when, when you think about an eBay listing,
1: I mean, my assumption, and I'm not that active on eBay, is that they would be temporary listings because they're auction pages. So they don't really live very long. Uh, They're there for a short period of time. So how does that impact how you approach trying to get those pages to rank in search?
0: Yeah, that's true. They, they deal with a lot of uh, temporary content, content. They have a lot of permanent content as well. I mean, they, there's both types of content within it. Um, so they do have to have different approaches for for all the different types of content really across the site like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something you have to think about a lot in terms of your relationship with Google because the size of the site means that you have a lot of content in Google. Uh, and, and that... Uh, makes that relationship quite quite interesting because people talk a lot in terms of enterprise. Uh, within enterprise SEO, we can start to think about uh, crawl budget. We can think about the amount of uh, effort that we're spending on, on bots going through our site because these things at that scale start to make a material difference to the business. Uh, you know, for, for a small site, you know, uh, allowing, you know, uh, not worrying about your crawl, your crawl budget doesn't particularly matter. And and I think uh, John Mueller and other Googlers have have said this very clearly. If you're a a small, medium business, small site, your crawl budget just shouldn't be a concern to you. Uh, But certainly for an enterprise site, it's it's a massive concern because we're constantly trying to uh, index and crawl very large amounts of content, millions and millions of pages. Uh, So that, that that is a challenge, definitely, at eBay. So you know eBay's been around since the beginning so you would expect that that
1: would be a very sophisticated client with people working there that you know you're not explaining the value of search there I mean they get it. That's oh no
0: the- yeah and I'd, I'd say that's probably why uh, I love I love the team so much they, they really do get search they get SEO 100% and that's um, that is probably the first enterprise client that I've worked with who, who 100% understands the importance of SEO Sure. Uh, it's a it's a very very um, informed team on the flip side you know you think about a company
1: like estee lauder which you know i don't want to you know be uh unfair but i would my assumption would be oh they're from the fashion world beauty they don't really they're not going to get it they're going to choke on concepts you're going to be doing a lot of hand holding a lot of explaining plus i don't even know if they sell direct to consumers i
0: I mean, oh, they're yes, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah they yeah, do. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. most
1: of their business is channel part through channel partners, I would imagine.
0: Yes, that's true. Yep, they do, and especially and same in the UK, they have a lot of channel partners. They they, yeah, all in the UK boots. Other people will be selling products from Estee Lauder, so they they have quite a complicated uh, business model in the sense that they do have these channel partners. They have uh, an awful lot of their brands are sold through other brands offline. Uh, in department stores. And, and I suppose you have the same thing in the US. Um, and yeah, so these, but yeah, they definitely absolutely, they sell direct as well. And they do get SEO, absolutely. I think the the challenge at somewhere like Estee Lauder companies is again, the scale. It's a different kind of scale, uh, the challenge that they have. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that Estee Lauder companies is 28 plus companies. Uh, within it. it's uh, There's a lot of different sites within that network. And it's actually very similar to some of the work that I used to do at Vodafone in terms of managing the global uh, search program, because I manage that across uh, 23 countries uh, globally. And, and it's a very similar kind of challenge. How do you do, if you're an SEO, how do you create a scalable uh, program that you can then roll out and, and, and gradually increase the best practice that's going on through that entire network, and that's a very different challenge than you usually get as an SEO, uh, because sometimes it's it's only partially about uh, fixing things. It's more about how do I how do I scale this? How do I fix all these things? And you know how do I create these processes? How do I build this capability within this organization to to keep improving the level of SEO? Uh, and and that really got me into. My thinking about test and learn uh, which again came from my experience with uh, management consultancies and management consultancies uh, uh, spend a lot of time with the kind of clients that I work with and they they're very good at models they they exceed themselves at that so the McKinsey's Accentures you know these guys really understand business and they understand how to get things done uh, because they understand the models that they need to to convince senior management that they need to do these things. Uh, So I learned a lot from working very closely with those uh, those guys and uh, agencies. Um, And I kind of took some of those learnings into SEO, into the technical sphere that I'm in. So I'd start to think about how could I roll out, test and learn uh, projects really across a large organization. Because an organization like Vodafone would always listen very carefully to a case study that was done within Vodafone. Uh, Because if and and that meant you could pick up a small market, so you could take a you could go and work with Albania or or a market of this size, and you could uh, help them implement uh, SEO best practice. And you could then take that case study and then use it to create the business case for rolling out in a larger market like Spain or UK. And then I'd constantly roll these uh, test and learn waves uh, on different uh, tactics across the organization. Uh, but still, with a kind of strategic view across measurement, how we're going to measure this, how we deal with data, and how do we deal with what's changing in the future of SEO? How do we keep ahead? Uh, you sort of you spoke initially about sort of steering the course in terms of SEO, and I think in SEO at that level, you have always have to have one eye on what's changing in the next few years, so that you're ahead of it. Because unlike smaller businesses where you can you can jump very quickly to those changes in a large enterprise, you need to be thinking about these things in terms of you know quarters or even years in some cases.
1: So um, Shopify signed up more new users in the first quarter of the pandemic than I think they had in, you know, in terms of velocity, the growth was formidable and uh, their stock price shot through the roof. So, you know, e-commerce is on the rise. Small and mid-sized businesses are trying to get into the game. Um, obviously, you know, you've been doing this a long time, but there are a number of companies out there that, you know, aren't Vodafone, that aren't Estee Lauder, that have 10, 20, 30,000 SKUs in an e-commerce store. Maybe they're drop shipping. Um, what advice do you have for those types of companies that are still trying to get their arms around how to apply the type of knowledge you've acquired To their business, and also, and you know, I'd I'd appreciate it if you would give us a figure. You know what? What should a company like that expect to pay to hire someone of your ilk to come in and SEO their 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 product catalog?
0: Yeah, it's my exact prices. Uh, It's a good question, though, Eric. I think the range you can give us a range. range. (laughs) I'll give you a range. Uh, The it's, there's always there's never too late to start doing e-commerce. I think we've always said that, you know, people sometimes feel they've missed the boat and they haven't. Every year I've been in this for 20 years, that year's been the year to launch e-commerce. I think the what's happened with the pandemic has been exceptional in the sense that digital has gone from it's just leapt ahead 10 years and we become digital first. Uh, and I think that's partly because of the lockdowns and the uncertainty, but it's also because companies have, have finally made that transition. They've realized that, you know, we need to get the digital side of our business working because we don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. And I've got that feeling in, in a lot of the uh, people I talk to really at very senior level. We don't know if you're going to go in lockdown this year. We don't exactly know what's going to happen next year. So having your digital order is absolutely essential. Uh, in the UK, uh, Black Friday and Christmas were closed offline. We only had digital. So that's the first year that digital owned those spaces. It was amazing. So digital has had a, a huge push in this last year. And, and I think when people kind of joke about what has caused uh, business transformation, uh, has it been the CEO, the CTO, or COVID? You know, that's the joke. It's definitely been COVID. It's, it's pushed it's pushed us 10 years ahead. Um, but the advice is to, I, I mean, it's advised companies to, look at consultants before they look at agencies. And I think there is, an, and this is kind of what large companies do now. And I, and I think this also reflects the way that the market has changed. There's a lot of uh, senior people like me, you know, who've been in the industry for many years. And the nature of agency is very much, uh, it's a pyramid. So what happens with agency is that the, uh, there's a few senior people at the top, but largely agencies built up on on generally sort of younger people who are learning how to do marketing. And and that works very well. If you know specifically what you need and specifically what you want them to do, then that model is fantastic. If you need to come up with your plan first, then I would say it's always worth thinking about consultancy and thinking about having a step back and and going into a planning stage because most businesses don't do this. They'll jump straight away to let's go and do SEO. What do we do? Well, let's hire an SEO agency. You know, they, they jump straight away to the execution. And that's not the best way to go to to do this properly, I would say. So as a large company, I would, or even as a medium-sized company, I would take the time to talk to a consultant, really establish a plan and a blueprint for what you're trying to do and to understand, you know, how are you going to do SEO? What kind of SEO do you need? Is it technical SEO? Is it link building? Is it content? Uh, what, What are you doing on paid? You know, what channels are you using for paid? How is paid working with your organic channels? You know, just to actually do the thinking behind this before you go into execution mode is is so important. So that that would always be my advice. And I, I find the, I'm not bashing agencies here, but they don't understand that they should be charging for planning. They charge for execution. They don't charge for planning. So they will uh, they will almost throw planning in as as something for free, and um, you know you and I know that if something's free, it, it generally isn't always worth much, uh, to be honest. So so you know that that is where consultants and consultancies have really uh, owned that space, and I think that's that's the opportunity in 2021 is to uh, pick up people of, of that ilk to come in and advise you. On, on different channels, on your strategy, on how that works, and really nail down that blueprint. And that, that should be something that you do. It's not a retainer. That's something that you do as a project. And this is something I've done a lot for companies as, as a project. I'll come into a company or other people, other partners. I mean, I have many other partners in talk. So partners will kind of come into a company for a set period of time, establish that blueprint, uh, do the auditing, do, do the due diligence, and really help. Uh, establish what we're going to do before we start doing it. So we make sure we're going in the right direction. Um, And I mean, yeah, in terms of cost, uh, I I think actually, I mean, in terms of, you know, you're in the US, I think the other opportunity at the moment is finding clever uh, UK people to come and do that for US companies because the differential in cost between the UK and the US at the moment is is phenomenal. Uh, You're going to, as a US company, you're going to get a 30 to 40% discount uh, in, in terms of equivalent services from someone in the US. Uh, that's, that's what I've kind of found. Um, for uh, consultancy fees, I mean, I can give you a range. Uh, I would say that um, individual consultants in the US, you're probably talking around uh, $1,000 to uh, 15, uh, $1,500 per day. Um, I would say it's about the range you, you may, and that's always variable because as a consultant, you would then, uh, if you're doing a longer period or a longer program, you would then have that a discussion about what that rate for that program would be. Uh, but that's a kind of, you know, ballpark figure, but I would say the amount of money that you would save having gone through that planning process would make up for that quite easily. Search engine spam and big changes coming at Google.
1: When we come back, stay with us. We're talking to Nick Wilsdon. He is a search marketing consultant at Torque Partnership, who's been at it for twenty years. Nick, what is search engine spamming?
0: Oh, spamming! Oh, anything. It's it's always a question, isn't it? Because anything that changes the results in Google um, unnaturally—that's going to be a very loaded answer, isn't it? Because uh, Google, Google will Google doesn't like being gamed, do they? And if you're spamming the search engines if you're doing certain things to get yourself up in the listings uh, to get a disproportionate amount of attention it's a very gray area between uh, spam and marketing and largely um, search engine spam has largely been centered around the question of links Uh, and I think that's a fascinating area I'm, I'm I've worked with links before. Uh, I've obviously done link building. I don't think you could be an SEO for 20 years having not done link building. Uh, I'm lucky because at enterprise, as you said previously, I don't need to do too much link building or any link building actually, because those brands build their links quite naturally. So that's a kind of, you know, I'm, I'm quite uh, lucky and entitled to be able to kind of take a step back and not have to get too involved in the link building sphere. Um, but I do find it fascinating. And I think the whole link building um, discussion has got very, very interesting in this last year because we started to talk about digital PR a lot. And I I don't know how much you've heard about this. It's it's moving gradually. I think you're you're hearing more about this in the States, Uh, but it's been a big subject in UK and Europe for some time. And the the idea behind that is that we would get links by producing content that we know PR companies or or, uh, publications would be interested in. And then we would outreach to those publications uh, to get them to link back to that piece of content. And then to your point, Earlier of your your strategy, you would then that highly linked page on your site would then be transferring internal link value to the rest of your site, whether you kind of set certain internal link anchors in that, or whether that link equity was just going through your uh, navigation naturally. But that's the that's the kind of the new way of link building. And what makes that interesting to me is that um, it, it's it's actually not something completely new. It's something that we've been doing for maybe you know I, I was doing this. Uh, 11, 12 years ago in the UK. Um, but this is a high point for it because it's kind of reached a, a point of kind of acceptance uh, that we can we can kind of build links in that way. And I think that's, that's interesting for me as an old SEO because essentially we're still gaming Google with that um, because you may not be paying for those links, but you may be paying someone else to reach out and get those links or to take someone to dinner or to send someone some stuff or to, you know, as, as PR firms operate. So this is a very gray area and really revolves around ethics. And I think that's why I find this whole conversation fascinating because I've, I've uh, led and created uh, link building and outreach teams uh, for agencies. Uh, So this is a topic that that you're constantly thinking about at that level of, uh, you know, how can we build links in a way that won't get penalties for our clients? And I think that's, you know, that's, that's what you have to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting topic, link building. I find it absolutely fascinating, but I am very grateful that I don't have to be too involved in it now.
1: And of course, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're not an SEO, the reason links are so significant is because Google treats links like recommendations and assigns rank accordingly. But you mentioned that there are there are some risks. Is there a risk to gaining
0: backlinks too quickly? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because with everything, Google's tried to make sure that you can't game their system. So they will watch certain patterns that are happening. And if you gain, it depends. I mean, in terms of gaining links too quickly, it, it depends, because if you think about uh, the uh, a page on a telco that may be selling the new iPhone, that page would naturally get linked very quickly. So the link graph behind that kind of content will, will naturally shoots up because the people are excited, the iPhone, you know, the, the, the device is coming out and that kind of content will, will be a natural pattern. So with everything in link building, it's does it look like a natural pattern is a question that you have to ask yourself. So if I'm going to get uh, a lot of links and I've never had any links on my site before and I suddenly get a thousand links that day, uh, it would seem a bit strange. And, and and this is why very large sites can get lots and lots of links very quickly to certain parts of their site because they it happens to them all the time, and they, they're trusted. They're an authority website. So this comes into the other aspects of Google in terms of, you know, how do these things balance? How do these factors balance? How trusted is your website? How many links do you usually get? What's a usual link graph for somebody in that space? Uh, how many links do your competitors get? And I think my advice to anyone building links is – try to you know if, if you are orchestrating it in a way that you know it's not just happening to you then always think about what looks natural uh, I think that always has to be the advice and and you, you look into your competitors you look into your niche you look into your history of your domain and you see you know what what is a natural acquisition of links so uh, so yeah with digital PR equally I mean I would digital PR is, is a you know, good way of reaching out to uh, publications to get them to talk about your brand. But if you had, you know, if you had, uh, uh, you know, a high, very high number of links coming in all, all of a sudden from that kind of method, I would be a little bit nervous. And what you do find sometimes when that happens is Google reacts to it. So you, you might suddenly go up a lot and then suddenly you'll shoot back down again because Google is kind of reconsidering. And it's it's having a think about, you know, your site. Should it be getting these many links? You know, does this look natural? This is where we see some of these more interesting patterns. Search engine optimization
1: is an art and a science. And on the quantitative side, there are a number of different tools that get used, one of which is a free tool uh, called Google Search Console. And they're now measuring core web vitals. And these are three things. These are uh, what they call the largest contentful paint, and that's how long it takes a page to render the largest visible element in the portion of the browser that you can see. So, you know, you go to a web page. Uh, how long does it take for different uh, sections of the page to pop into your browser? The second thing they're measuring is called first input delay. So, if you click on a on a button or you try to open, expand something. How long does it take for the page to respond to that? And the third is cumulative layout shift. So how many times have you been to a web page and it starts to load and you try to click on something and right when you go to click on it, the button moves and you click on the wrong thing as it's loaded. And so they're measuring these things. They call them core web vitals. And um, you know they're saying that they're going to start to, you know, take this into account as part of their algorithm and how they rank content, how important is it uh, for small businesses to get these issues handled?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. I think there's been a lot of talk about uh, performance and page speed over the last few years. The the Obviously the driver to all of this is the uh, update that's meant to be happening in May in terms of experience update from Google. So Google said that, um, you know, they will start to take these factors into consideration within uh, the ranking. So previously to this, we've kind of had a point where if you had a, an incredibly slow site, uh, you know bad things might happen to that page, because Google doesn't want to have a slow experience. It doesn't want to have a slow experience for people on mobile, especially. So but this experience update is certainly going to kind of ratchet that up. And I don't think it's going to be uh, a sort of you know, We talked about Mobigen before, but it's not going to be <laughs> the, the Armageddon of everything. So it is, it is an important thing, but it's more of a journey in order to get your site to perform well on those kind of metrics. It's not something you're going to do overnight. I mean, if, again, if you have a WordPress site or something like this, then this is something you could bring in an expert and they could be optimizing your WordPress site very efficiently. Uh, and that may be something you can do far faster. Um, and there's sort of Nitro is one of the plugins that people are using really to, uh, I'll give you some links to that. Um, So yeah, if you have have a a much smaller site, and this is something you can really get your head around very fast, and with everything in terms of changes, that's always going to be your your secret weapon. It's going to be the fact that you can move fast. You can move faster than large enterprise, and you can get these things done, and you can get a first mover advantage. So that's always something you should grab as a small business. Um, For larger sites it's going to be a little bit more complex. There's gonna be development changes that need to be made. There's gonna be, uh, you know, it's gonna be a lot of work to basically move you to that, that point where you're performing really well on, on web vitals. Um, so it is important. I think it's important for users as well, uh, because we talk a lot about uh, Google and Google ranking, but let's be honest, if it's a slow website, especially on mobile, users won't stick around. So you're also improving something for your users and that can never be a waste of time. Um, but I don't think we're going to see with that update. That update's not going to come out. And then the next week, all of those fast sites that get 100% score on Lighthouse are going to pop up to the top of the rankings. That's not going to happen. Uh, so, and, and I think Google's confirmed that. So it's easy to find someone
1: to build a house for you. But yeah. it's really hard to find someone to you know, fix a drain or do a small little odd job you know it's it's real easy to find a a general contractor it's difficult to find a handyman Mm -hmm. Um, and there are so many small businesses out there that need help um, fixing these types of things or just ironing out some of the more technical details of something like a wordpress site so what advice do you have for small business owners that are looking to find reliable wordpress developers
0: um, yeah, they, they absolutely are out there, and and I think the I've I've had some fantastic people work with me on WordPress, and they what tends to happen uh, for those kind of people, the ones that you're mentioning, they they get a, a core group of clients, and they are not out on the market very much, uh, and this is uh, this is the issue. So the first thing is always recommendations. I would always go to people you know and and get personal recommendations. I think that's the best way uh, because. You've got that personal touch. You know they've worked previously in the same way as a plumber. I mean, we do this for repairing our houses, don't we? We talk to our friends. We talk to our family. We try and work out which plumber they've had at their house, what was the experience. So I think that has to be the first thing that you do. And, and often that can uh, surface someone who can help. Um, the second thing is, you know, understand the kind of person that you want. Is it, uh, is it someone who's going to be very uh, self-starting? Or are they going to be someone who you tell exactly what to do? They do tasks and they, they you know, that they'll get them done for you. And and I've worked with both types of people at that level. And, uh, you know, they're, they're both great, but you just need to recognize what their strengths are, because often the the problem that you get in terms of that relationship is often a communication breakdown because they expect that person to be a self-starter and they, You know, that they may not be pushing to fix things proactively. So, you know, think about how you can encourage them to do that. How can you put them on a retainer? So they're on a retainer. And that's always the best way to have a WordPress handyman is on a retainer. Uh, Don't just try to bring them in when things are broken. It's it's the worst time to employ someone. So find someone who will give you a retainer who will uh, understand that. When something happens, when something significantly happens bad to your site, they're going to step up and they're going to come in. They're going to help fix it, whatever it takes. You know, it's almost like an insurance policy. And then, so those tend to be the best relationships I have with kind of you know WordPress developers. Um, and, and I find that works quite well. And then you can you can decide then um, what can that person do? What are their strengths? Are they solely in uh, WordPress? Are they just the the technical developer for WordPress? Because that may be the kind of person you need. Is it, uh, is it some, do you need someone on, on content? Do you need someone to help you with SEO? Uh, but you'll, you, you may find that, that they aren't all the same person uh, and you need some sort of specialist help. And this is where, again, where it comes, uh, I explained to you before about creating the blueprint for enterprise. And you can actually take that same methodology for a small site as well. You could have somebody came in, assessed what you needed to do on SEO, and then gave you a blueprint that you then delivered to that that person to, to implement because it would be, you know, set up Yoast optimize these posts, make sure we've got these uh, keywords covered, make sure we've got these pieces of content on our site. So, you know, it, it, there's, there's always, I think there's a lot of value in uh, sometimes paying an expert for a blueprint. Uh, and I know that sounds terribly obvious, but it's funny how many times I see that just doesn't happen. Uh, so, you know, just just get the right person in for a very short amount of time and they will tell you what you need to be thinking about. Then you can give that to another, someone else to, to uh, deploy.
1: Excellent advice from Nick Wilsden, consultant at Torque Partnership. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you, That's been absolutely pleasure. Thank you.
1: To master B2B lead generation, you can listen to the first chapter of my new book, The Digital Pivot, for free at digitalpivotbook.com.